Let us now read together from our confession from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25. As most of you know, the Heidelberg Catechism has no authority of its own. It receives its authority, however, from the Word of God. And so we summarize God's Word in the Heidelberg Catechism, and we do so in Lord's Day 12 about the preaching of the word and the sacraments as follows. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? Sacraments are holy, visible, signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use, he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. <clears throat> After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 33, stanzas one and three. We sang stanzas six this morning, so this time we will sing one and three. And there we will sing about rejoicing before the Lord because of his word. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior, brothers and sisters, where does our faith come from? From my parents, a catechism student once told me. That was a nice answer. For the student knew that if it weren't for her parents, she wouldn't have faith. Her parents had brought her up to know God and to believe in him from the cradle she had been told about who God is. They had told her Bible stories and taught her how to pray. They had taken her to church and had her attend catechism classes and enrolled her in a Christian school. They also taught her how a Christian behaves. They had taught her how to love God. And so it was the parents who had given her faith, right? However, that's not what a catechism teaches us, does it? It says there in answer 65 that our faith comes from the Holy Spirit. That's also what we read in the Bible on which the catechism is based. 
It says, for example, in John 3, verse 10 and 11, that God has revealed to us by his spirit and that no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Faith is from God, especially from God, the Holy Spirit. Faith does not come from people, does not come from the church either. It may seem that way. It may seem that way to the catechism student, but it's not true. It is from God. And so where then do the parents come in? and all the others in your life, the minister, the teacher, the elder, the Christian friends, they all play a role, don't they? Well, yes, they do. But ultimately, faith comes from the Holy Spirit. But then how exactly does the Holy Spirit do that? What is the role of people? That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. I will preach to you about the way the Holy Spirit creates and strengthens faith in the hearts of the people. First, we will look at the proclamation. Secondly, the strengthening. And then finally, the assurance. First then, the proclamation. How did the Ethiopian eunuch, the one we just read about, how did he come to faith? For as we read, he had difficult with a certain passage in the Bible. There are certain things he just didn't understand. No doubt we all have that problem at times when we read our Bibles at our supper table, as is the Reformed custom. We frequently come across passages or statements that leave us somewhat baffled. We know what we believe, but there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Why is that? Does God not make things clear enough for us? Are the scriptures too difficult for us to understand? Well, according to what we confess in the Belgic Confession, what God wants from us is clear enough, for it says, even the blind are able to perceive that, that the things foretold in them are being fulfilled. And as we just read in Romans 10, God is near to us. His word is near to us. It's in our hearts because we have been taught it. And the early Christians understood very well how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New. As soon as they received the letters from the various apostles, they knew that it was the word of God. They understood it. Yet, there are difficulties. And that is because of our own limitations. We're human beings. We're not God. Because of that, we have difficulty putting specific passages of scriptures within the context of God's whole world, of God's whole word. And that is why we need to be trained. We need to be trained properly to understand God's word. 
and that was the case with that Ethiopian eunuch. This man was not a stupid man. On the contrary, no doubt he will have had a good education, for he was an important official in the government of his country. He was in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In other words, he was the minister of finance of that country. You don't get such a position unless you have a good education. This man, in some way, had become a proselyte, that is, a convert to Judaism. That's what that word refers to. There were many proselytes during and after the exile. As you know, as you know after the exile, Jews were scattered all over. They went to Babylon and Egypt and other surrounding countries, and they had contact with all kinds of people there whom they also introduced to the Jewish faith. And this is how this Ethiopian eunuch had to come to know about the God of the Jews, and he became a believer. And for that reason, this Ethiopian went also to Jerusalem to worship. But there were many things that he did not yet quite understand. And that was clear from what he was reading on his way back to Ethiopia. He was reading a part of the book of Isaiah. It was the custom in those days to read out loud. And he came to a difficult passage that needed explanation. Now, the Holy Spirit had directed Philip to that Ethiopian. He spoke directly to Philip to go to the chariot in which the Ethiopian was sitting and to stay close by. When Philip heard him read that passage from Isaiah, he asked the Ethiopian if he knew what he was reading. And the Ethiopian said to him that he did not quite understand. He needed somebody to explain this to him, which is also what Philip did. The Ethiopian had been reading a passage from Isaiah 53, and he wanted to know to whom these words applied. Philip explained to him that this passage applies to the Lord Jesus, and that it had been fulfilled in him. That he was the one who was led like a lamb to slaughter, and that he was the one who was humiliated and deprived of justice, and that he was the one whose life was taken from the earth. He further explained to him that this all happened for the forgiveness of our sins. He showed him how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and that all these sacrifices and ceremonies of the law of the law had their fulfillment in him, that they all pointed to Christ, to the anointed one, to the Messiah. He will also have told him about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And it is then that this eunuch begins to understand and to put it all together. The Lord God uses Philip to explain this to him and to create faith in him. 
no doubt God could have done without Philip. God doesn't need man. But that's how he has chosen to make his message of salvation known through the proclamation of the gospel through sinful men. And you see, that's what the Heidelberg Catechism is talking about. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts by the preaching, by the proclamation of the gospel. As Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Oh sure, it is not so that it is impossible to come to faith by reading the Bible on your own. Many people come to know God in that way. But they always need other Christians to point out the enormous riches contained in God's word. They need those who can give them the context of certain scripture passages. We need help in understanding the scriptures, don't we? Because of our sinfulness, we need to have our eyes open and we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit to help us. That's one of the main reasons why we go to church every Sunday, twice even, to hear God's word being explained, to have God's word opened up for us, which is especially the task of the minister of the word, such as myself. Ministers have some specialized training obtained over several years in seminary. But it doesn't mean that only he can explain God's word. No, you are all equipped to do that. The Lord gives every one of you a role. And he wants you to take that role seriously as mothers and fathers as friends, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. He all gives you a role. And that's why you need to go to a Bible study society and to read books and magazines that apply God's word in a faithful way to help us understand God's will for us in the world in which we live. But for ministers and all believers alike, the Bible must also be alive to you. It's not just a dry book full of doctrines and stories. No, the Bible is so much more than that. If you want to know God and his word and if you want to teach it to others, then you must also be full of the Holy Spirit. You must be full of joy because of the salvation that you have through Jesus Christ. And you must understand what a great joy it is, what God has revealed to you. And that through God's word, you are made a new creature. It's also what we had back here on the wall. We have been born again through the living word, the living word that was preached to you. 
obvious that Philip was full of the Holy Spirit. And once the Ethiopian heard that explanation, he too was full of joy about what God had done. And brothers and sisters, that is the most important aspect in the proclamation of God's word. If you realize what a joy it is to be saved through Jesus Christ, then you too will be full of joy. And then you too will want to bring others to faith, wouldn't you? You would want to proclaim that wonderful message of salvation. But, and that brings us to the second point, the, proclam the, the proclamation of the word is not just something that is done once. It has to be done repeatedly. Our faith needs to be strengthened. For the devil always tries, uh, tries to take us away from God's word. He wants to sow doubt in us. And he wants us to be a bitter and angry people who cannot forgive others their sins. And he wants to gnaw away at our resolve to live holy lives. He wants to take away your and my certainty. And he wants us to question the authority of God's word. Don't we need more than that? He wants to take away our joy and our enthusiasm for the gospel. It is for that reason also that we need to be regularly under the preaching. Time and again, we need to be confronted with the joy of God's word. But the Lord does not just use the preaching to strengthen our faith. He also uses the sacraments. When the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith, he wanted to be baptized right away. And so as they continued to travel along the road and they came to some water, the Ethiopian says to Philip, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? As a proselyte, he had already undergone one baptism. For the Jews already knew about the ritual of baptism. A Gentile, someone who was not an Israelite, a Jew, was considered to be unclean. And when he becomes a Jewish convert, he needs to be cleansed before he would be allowed to enter the temple courts. Baptism was used for that purpose. A foreigner would not be allowed in the temple unless he was first baptized. But now this Ethiopian foreigner wants to be baptized again, but this time in the Christian faith. He wants to be assured of his cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ as symbolized through the water of baptism. And Philip joyfully obliges him, of course. This important dignitary gets out of his chariot and walks into the water. And Philip pushes his head under the water and then brings him up out of the water again. The water of the baptism signifies to him that he is saved through the blood of Christ. His sins have been washed away. Christ died for him. Christ went under the water, so to speak, but he rose again. 
It is a very powerful symbolism. Now, why do you think this Ethiopian was so eager to be baptized? Well, he knew that he had to go back to his country, to Ethiopia. And he was going to be surrounded by Gentiles who would question his faith. They would attack him. And so would his own flesh, that is, his own, na his own sinful nature. And this Ethiopian knew that he is prone to stumble. And he wanted to have that enduring signal of the forgiveness of sins as a means to strengthen him in his faith as a reminder of what Christ had done for him. And he needed that symbol on his forehead in order also to be able to speak to others about the great hope that is within him. And brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, the same thing is true for you and for me. The Lord God instituted the sacraments in order to strengthen us in our faith, to remind us of the forgiveness of sins, to remind us of our salvation and of the great hope that we have, not only for today, but into eternity. And that's why the Lord God also instituted the Lord's Supper, also known as the Mass or the Eucharist. The Lord's Supper also reminds us of the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. It reminds us of the message of the gospel which is contained in the word of God. And the sacraments are given to us in order to underline the basic message of the gospel. The gospel means good news. And what is that basic message? Well, answer 66 beautifully summarizes that. It says that God, listen carefully, God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. It is a gracious gift, a gift of grace. In other words, it is given to us without any merit of our own. You don't have to do any good works in order to deserve it. No, you do good works in order to show your thankfulness, not in order to do anything. We can't as sinful people. We cannot do anything in order to obtain that gift. And that is the message that has to be emphasized. That's what the sacraments do. They remind us of that gift. As you know, the catechism was written at the time of the Reformation. And it was written in order to teach the people what the sacraments were all about. For according to the doctrine of the church, at that time, the sacraments functioned like some spiritual injunction of God's grace. The church thought that the sacraments were needed to save you. And in this way, the sacraments became more important than the preaching itself. 
they were deemed to be so important that the church even came to seven sacraments. The Bible teaches only two sacraments. But let's stick close to home. I didn't think we we're persuaded to go back to that teaching again. Nevertheless, there is also the tendency amongst us to consider the sacraments a little bit more important than the preaching. On a Sunday when we have the Lord's Supper, then church is usually fuller than on other days. Many people would not think of missing the Lord's Supper Sunday. And when there's a baptism, then we want as many of our friends and our relatives to be there as well. Some even delay the sacrament for that reason or until they have their favorite minister on the pulpit. But what are the sacraments for? They are for the strengthening of the faith of the congregation to which you belong. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 16 and 17, Paul even expresses thankfulness for the fact that he only baptized a few people. Let me read that. He says there, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, Paul emphasizes preaching. Of course, baptism is important, and so is the Lord's Supper, but not more important than the preaching. And that's why he says that he came to Corinth to preach. And he did not want the baptism to be tied to a specific preacher either, for he says, let's not make distinctions between Seth, Cephas, or Paul, or Apollos, or anyone else. No, he says, we are all ones who bring the gospel. That's what's important. For the bond is not with the minister, but the bond is with God. It doesn't depend on man, but it depends on God. Again, that's what we have to concentrate on. We read in answer 66 that sacraments are visible signs and seals. First of all, visible. Everybody should be able to see therefore as well. For that reason, baptism is done in a church service where everybody can see it. And so the, Baptist, the baptismal font has to be situated so that everybody can see what is happening. It is for the strengthening of the faith of the congregation in which God has placed us. And God proclaims the promise upon this child that he will forgive his or her sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the promise he makes. It's a wonderful moment. But it is nevertheless nothing more than the accentuation of the preaching. The preaching always comes first. And that is why we also have this pulpit in the center. Not the baptismal font or the Lord's Supper table. They are secondary to the preaching, and they stand to the side. 
Same thing, therefore, applies to the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is also a visible sign and seal. That is why the minister also visibly breaks the bread and visibly pours the wine. And the people have to be able to see the minister do that. And therefore, when the minister does that, you should be looking at what he is doing. For the Lord God does not want us only to be assured of our salvation through hearing, but also through seeing. The Bible also teaches us that the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are seals, guarantees. That's what a seal is. It's a guarantee. It assures authenticity. It guarantees to us that our sins have been paid for. That's our final point. A seal works like a stamp. Everybody here at one time or another will have gone to a hockey game or a football game or to some trade show or other where you would have to pay for your entrance in order to be able to get into the arena or the building. After you pay, sometimes they also give a stamp on your hand. And that stamp is placed there to indicate, to indicate that you have paid your entrance fee. You can go in and out of the building without having to pay again. Well, that is also how the seal of baptism works. It guarantees that your sins have been paid for. Of course, you also have to accept that, and you also have to show that you do accept that throughout your whole life. For if you don't, then you won't be able to, to claim that payment either. Then the promises of the gospel don't apply to you. Isn't that the way it is with the stamp as well? If you act as if the stamp on your hand doesn't apply to you and you go to the bathroom to wash it off or you just try to sneak through, then you will not be able to enter the arena. They will stop you. They will let you in. Where's the proof of payment? Well, in that sense, baptism is also a proof of payment is a proof that Christ paid for your sins. But it is also proof who made that payment. It guarantees that God has done that through Jesus Christ. If you take that seal seriously, then you don't play loose and fast with God's promises either. For what exactly is a seal? Well, during biblical times, seals were attached to documents. Hot wax would be poured on the document and the signet ring would be pressed into it to show who wrote that document, document and on whose authority the action promised in the document would be implemented. The Ethiopian eunuch needed not only that visible reminder, but he also needed that guarantee. And that guarantee was tied up with the Lord Jesus Christ that means that he had to believe in his existence, that he walked here on this earth, and that he suffered, and that he died, and that he rose again, and that he is now seated at the right hand of God. Without that knowledge, the seal would mean nothing. And please keep in mind that all of this was not totally new to this eunuch. 
for the Old Testament spoke of the Messiah of Christ. It wasn't as if the Ethiopian was new to the faith. It, it wasn't as if one moment he's told about Christ and the next moment he's baptized. No, he already knew the Old Testament. He knew the promises of the Old Testament. He was already a believer in God. But he had to understand how the Old Testament now applies in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philip was an instrument in God's hand to open his eyes. And then he understood what he was talking about. He understood that he was talking about the long-awaited Messiah as revealed in the Old Testament. But he could not receive the baptism without that instruction first. In order to be strengthening your faith through the sacrament, you have to have that kind of knowledge. At least that's how it goes with adults. The children, somewhat different, and you'll deal with that in Lord's Day 27, the Lord willing. They received the sign and the seal at the time of their baptism, and they are still a baby. For God comes to children of believers first with his promise and guarantee, and children must be brought up to know these things. That's the task of the parents and of the church and of the teachers. It's the task to instruct one another. As children grow up, they must be reminded of God's relationship with them. They must be reminded of God's promises and demands. But in order for them to realize those promises in their lives, they also have to publicly proclaim that they believe those promises. That's why we have profession of faith. More will be said about that also in the following Lord's Days. Brothers and sisters, how wonderful for the Ethiopian eunuch that he could have the assurance of salvation through the preaching of Philip and through the administration of the sacrament. How that will sustain him when he goes back to his regular life in Ethiopia. And how wonderful it is that you and I, that we can be under the preaching of God's word and that we may have that preaching accentuated by the sacraments and how great it is that we may have people used by God as instruments in his hands to bring us to faith. How wonderful it is that we have parents that do that for their children and how we can have teachers who do that in the classrooms and how we can do that with each other, how we can have fellowship together there's nothing greater than to come with the comfort of God's word. God reveals to us who he is and what he has done for you and for me. Believe in him, brothers and sisters. Allow his Holy Spirit to renew you day in, day out. Amen.